2: It's the BritFlix.com podcast. It's the BritFlix.com podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. I've got with me today Tony Drury. Hello Tony. Hi Stuart. And... uh do you want to give, uh, before we go into any details, do you want to
1: give a little background as to yourself as to why we're sat here talking on the podcast? Okay. Well, I'm 67 years of age, married for 45 years, and just <laughs> had my first grandson, Henry. <coughs> I was a corporate financier. I built up a corporate finance house in London, which specialised in raising money for smaller companies, mm. uh, did a lot of writing because each customer has to have a document, wrote some finance books sold out in 2006 and started writing Megan's Game, which took five years, and since then have been developing as a, a romantic thriller writer and now into films. So Megan's Game is a, just for the, is, is a novel that you wrote? No, Megan's Game was the yeah. First, yeah, yeah, yeah. first book of fiction I wrote, yes. Okay,
2: okay. So that's now mushroomed into the, this, this a company you're calling City Fiction. Yep. And on your website you say publishing, marketing, and much, much more yep. as, a, as a kind of catch-all. So do you want to explain
1: to us what Six Fiction is all about and what, what, what you're doing with that? Well, it came about accidentally because I had a publisher for Megan's Game mm-hmm. who then promptly was unable to survive the recession. Oh, okay. So I formed my own publishing company. So to that <laughs> extent, if you like, I'm I'm self-published. Yeah. We've, in fact, only in the last week announced a link with a publisher called Ravencrest Publishing, and they're now taking over all the publishing side and we're developing City Fiction as a publisher of my books, plus films, which yep. we can talk about. OK. So, that, so what, what led to that, that evolution from novels to then film? Purely by accident. OK. Uh, the publicist who represents me as, a, as an author has her offices at Shepperton Studios. Okay. And one day she contacted me and said, I think a producer here, who is Paul Tucker, who I can talk about, is interested in making Megan's Game into a film. It simply led from that.
2: Really? Yeah. So there was, no, there was no ambition on your side at first until the opportunity
1: arose? Well, Megan's Game's a very visual book. Okay. It's based on the west coast of Wales for a large part in Cardigan Bay. Okay. And I often used to think the visuality of it might make it cinema. Hmm. There was a, a sea rescue in the middle of a, a rolling sea of waves. And that's actually what has happened. Okay. Although that's had a history of its own, which we can go into. Okay. So, so where, where are you, at the? if, if
2: that's where it started and, and it came with interest directly from a producer who wanted to adapt the, the novel to become a film, are you thundering are you along with that right now? Are you in the
1: process of developing the script? It's all happened very quickly. Okay. Megan's Game was published in May 2013. Mm-hmm. Where we are with... What City Fiction is doing now, it's publishing my books. OK. So um, A Flash of Lightning came out recently, Mm -hmm. and the next book, The Lady Who Turned, comes out in July this year and the book after. So uh, we're concentrating on my career as a writer of romantic thrillers. Yes. So that's going apace. And I now write a book every six months. It's not – I mean, Megan's Game took five years, Mm -hmm. so that was the learning curve. Yeah. But once you've got your format in place Mm – my books are 80,000 words, which is 20 chapters of 4,000 words – you can begin to see a format working. Yeah. All I need are the two strands of the story Yeah. because I'm a little unusual. I didn't know I was, but I've learnt this as I go along, particularly working with the scriptwriters on the films.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I have a. I have two very strong themes in my book, mm-hmm. whereas if you're a thriller writer, maybe the detective has an affair with somebody's wife, yeah. but it's a, it's a detective story with a little bit of romance thrown in. Okay. I have a strong thriller writer... Uh, Theme, as well as the romance. Okay. okay. Uh, it's caused the scriptwriters some problems. We can talk about that. But that's yeah. Almost, I'm not unique, but it's yeah. the way I've identified myself as an author. Now, now, uh, as a
2: as a writer myself, I'd be interested to know what's what's your kind of habit in terms of writing. Are you a, are you an are you an everyday set time, set place, Do you write anywhere? Do you do you outline? What's 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 your approach to developing your stories?
1: Well, I think you have to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. The great law of writing, in my humble opinion, is you've got to write something. So if you're in front of your screen and you're dead and you're depressed and you've had too many to drink, still write something Mm -hmm. because the next day you'll be glad you did. Mm. You mustn't give in. Never, ever, ever (laughs) give in because you're cheating yourself. Yeah. So, but to answer the question directly, I write from 5 to 11. Okay. I can do, I'm best at 2,000 words. Yeah. I know many of the authors say they can do 5, 6, 7, but I can't do that. I'm best at 2,000 words, which is half a chapter. So on that theory, I could write a book in 40 days. It doesn't work that <laughs> way. But that's roughly how you think about
2: it's it. It's a comforting thought, though, going into the process that you know, you're you're. Well, when you're away. down,
1: when you're depressed, I mean, when we're buoyant, we can all be good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, being successful is mm. getting through the difficult times. So you have to have a format so when life's kicking you in the teeth a bit, you can go back to your format mm. and know why you're doing it. So, so the the turn, the, the, the evolution into bringing film under the City Fiction banner is that. Is well, that... the the we're involved with three films now. Okay. Megan's Game, the first film, is being produced by Paul Tucker at Shepperton. Okay. Um, we've had a uh, the the director is Suri Krishnama, yeah, who did Waking the Dead. Okay. Um, very very impressive man. I, I get on very well with Suri. The casting director is Kate Plantin, who's got a very nice reputation and um, we've just brought in a second script writer because okay. the first script was very visual but mm-hmm. it was felt they wanted to just develop it a bit yeah so stephen davis who's got a marvelous cv and did in fact some of the episodes of waking the dead okay, okay. um so we've now got a finished script mm-hmm. um we've had a look at the financing we weren't successful first time round so yeah. we've learned our lessons the budget's three and a half million and we're raising two mm-hmm. under the EIS scheme and I'm, I'll be out there in about three weeks' time. So that's you, now that's you drawing back well, on your financial background now, This is so. probably the unusual thing of what's happening. Yeah. None of this was planned. It's just <laughs> happened. But you've got what I call the, the Shepperton studio set and, of course, now Shirani and Jane. But yeah. you've got the Shepperton who make films. Mm-hmm. You've got myself. Now, I was very lucky early on with Megan's Game, a great friend of mine had lost his wife, Mm -hmm. inherited a lot of money she had. And I was talking to him one night saying, I've got a producer at Shepparton who wants to make Megan's Game into a film, but I've got to raise 150000 development capital. And he wrote out a cheque there and then. Now, that is unique. Mm -hmm. So he's the financier, which means Mm -hmm. that we pay all our bills, which gives people confidence. So Stephen Davis, the scriptwriter, he's been fully paid. There's no promises. Yeah. So I've been it. very lucky. What we have found is that, with the Shepperton production side and our side of having financial skills, yeah. joining the two together is quite powerful.
2: So, and a second film project is Flash of Lightning, which is another adaptation of your
1: your work. Is that right? Well, this came differently. Um, what happened was that I went to a presentation at the Phoenix Art Club on raising finance for a film, okay. and met Jane, who's a scriptwriter. Yeah. Got to know her. She introduced me to Shirani. Yeah. Shirani knew a scriptwriter called Rob Green, yeah. who read A Flash of Lightning, which was my fourth book. Yeah. He contacted us through his agent and said, I, I, I really do like this book. Cut a long story short, um, I decided on that one. Whereas Megan's Game is being produced by a separate company of which I'm part, yeah. I'm putting A Flash of Lightning all through City Fiction. Okay. So I've paid all the bills to date
2: Yeah.
1: because Shirani and I will make the film. Yeah. She will be the producer and it will be her production company. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted the shareholders in A Flash of Lightning to get all the benefits, in City Fiction through A Flash of Lightning to get all the benefits. And there's a third project which isn't, adapted from a work of yours, is there? There's, nope. there's, there's all... all... <clears throat> well, we're not... I mean, it must sound awful. We're not precious about me at all. It's just where we no, are. No, no, I'm just, I'm but, I'm just identifying um, it as being an evolution Oh, of no, you, no, we're you've... open to other offers. Yeah, yeah, if somebody's yeah. got a film, we'll make it. Yeah. But uh, this is all very new, of course. Mm. And to be fair, let's put this in perspective. I haven't even reached pre-production yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm still a third of the way yeah. through the learning curve
2: yeah.
1: of becoming a, a film person involved with films. Jane and Shirani have a film called Aura, yeah, which is all about your luminals and your energies. Or oh, it's completely over my head. <laughs> the script is brilliant. Jane's written the script, and I've had somebody who does understand the genre read it. Yeah, and they're slightly differently because they believe they could have significant uh, investor support in America. Okay. Well, what America have said is, let's see the development stage reached. So City Fiction is looking to fund. Uh, aura up mm. through its development stage, yeah. and then Jane and Sharani will go to America to raise the money. I mean, it, it's interesting these kind of
2: mechanical sort of parts of the process that happen in making a film, and it's something that certainly for myself over the last three or four years, begin to see. You don't make films. Each film is like starting a new business, isn't it? You know, you're you're, you're everything's from scratch. You don't, the history of film doesn't matter as much, does it? It's like how good is that film you're about to try and make? How
1: good is that script? <clears throat> How good is the director you've got on board, How, and, and so on and so forth? Do you know it's exactly the same as corporate finance? Is it really? Yeah, because every corporate finance deal is is is, is a single project. Okay. So you take your client on, your project is to raise them a million, mm-hmm. you raise a million. The moment the checks in the bank, you're on to your next project. The similarity is amazing. Right, okay. You know that Orson Welles once said that he spent 95% of his life raising money and 5% of his life making films. I haven't heard that quote, The the golden grail of the film industry, and it's very interesting what's happening in the UK film industry. Now, Paul Tucker, the producer of Megan's Game, is a big studio man. Yeah. He made um, some of the James Bond films. He worked with Mel Gibson. Uh, He's a big-budget man. His reputation is he's never delivered a film over budget. Okay. But Sharani, who was trained at Sony, is a small-budget producer because her world is different. Yeah. It seems to me that, and you would know better than me on this, but the feeling I'm getting is that the UK film industry can fund the big things mm. because they come, like Gravity, comes from Hollywood. Up to a million, you can raise. You mm. can raise money. The UK tax credit is fantastic. Yeah. On the budget for a flash of light, um, a flash of light. Uh, sorry, of Megan's. Let me go back to Megan's game. Yeah. The budget is three and a half million. Uh-huh. All the filming will be done over the UK. Yes. So our tax credit is 800000 okay. because the Chancellor increased the tax, tax credit to 25% in the autumn statement. So the actual input of the tax credit is massive because it gives you a huge... Well, it's not it, you don't get it until you've made yeah, yeah, yeah. the film, but you can work with it. Okay. And it seems to me that the British film industry can do the big ones like Gravity yeah. because that comes from Hollywood. The small ones, our system, but the middle ground where I am, Three to 5 million is almost virgin territory. The clever schemes that have just been unravelled in court and Sir Alex Ferguson's got to pay lots of money because he's got it wrong mm. or his advisors have got it wrong yeah. that's all dead. There's mm. only two tax schemes for films now One is the UK tax credit and the other is Enterprise Investment Scheme, which is a fabulous scheme Mm. because those people with tax... Nobody argues, Stuart, that films aren't high-risk. Name me high-risk and I'll name you a film. We're not pretending we're trying to... You can't give a tax incentive and say it's not risk. Everything's risk. Mm. But what we are saying is you can mitigate the downside a bit with tax credits and tax allowances. The upside, if you're competent and You make your film properly can be very big okay
2: so so the language when you're talking to potential investors, the language about return and stuff is still very real as part the of that The problem we
1: have is that there has been so much skullduggery in the British film industry mm-hmm. that the serious people with with money have been scarred. i've hardly met anybody who hasn't lost money in films okay now I try and use that to advantage and say, well, look, you've got." Paul Tucker, you've got Sharani, you've got myself. I'm regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, so mm-hmm. I'm a, a regulated financier. Yeah. Michael, who put the money up for Megan's Game, is regulated. We, we, we are, we're not going to defraud anybody. It's not yeah. our wish to. But it's, there is still a resistance. It's hard work out there.
2: So, but to Thinking of, um, of Aura from a creative process point of view, you said you gave the script to a reader in you know, yeah. the sort of genre. Yeah. So is your role going to be more about the financing of the project, or is there a, is there a is there a way well, to be to honest,
1: when I first started, um, I did ask a lot of people for their advice. I wanted to separate being an author and the film. Yeah. I felt with Megan's Game, that's the best I could do, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. But I've been dragged into it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, and to be honest, this is just a little trick of the trade, a producer's expenditure is allowed within the UK tax credit. Okay. Whereas if I'm paid in other ways, I wouldn't, you wouldn't get that. So, in fact, the logic is to make me a producer as well because then we get the benefits of the tax credit.
2: Okay.
1: So that's how it's at. I'm being dragged into this very willingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there's something hypnotic. A great friend of mine in the city said he couldn't believe how the city is always seduced by the media. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in film finance you did have Handmade Films, of course, made a a big thing about this. They raised $150 during the last decade, the the Tony Blair decade as we might call it, um, by vanity public funding. In other words, people with so much money relative to us that they would just put the money into a film for vanity. Could their daughter have a part? Could they come on stage? Can they go? And they raised 150 million. Unfortunately they spent 170 million and went bust. But the point is there. So where the I mean as a corporate financier, I yeah. can tell you the money's always there. It's mm. finding it. Yeah. And I, I the, the biggest deal I ever did. It took me seven months. I couldn't find it, but I got it. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting turn of phrase because I
2: don't I don't think filmmakers who are from outside of the, the finance world would would see it like being able to find it. So, is there any kind of like, um, what kind of do's and don'ts from your
1: point of view? There's not... no, only one. Go on. They all made the same mistake. Okay. They sell the film, not the investment. Okay. I sit there for hours and hours and hours, and I'm none the wiser at how I'm going to make any money out of the film.
2: It was literally about knowing your audience and what well, your audience wants. if you think
1: it. about it, um, an investment is somebody using their money to make a return. Mm. They want to hear about... They know you're going to make a good film, that you are going to take <laughs> half an hour to tell them. Yeah. They're going, I mean, the famous story, you know, when the financier went in to finance Star Wars, and the financier said, give it me in a, a sentence, he said, Jaws in Space, and he got his money. You know, the apocryphal yeah, yeah, yeah. story. So, I mean, that's an old story. But it's the same in finance. So going with your spreadsheets rather than your posters. Well, is, is it... there's a, that's a credibility aspect. Yeah, what yeah, what so... happens is that a financier, there are two emotions in finance, fear and greed. Mm-hmm. Fear, I'm going to miss an opportunity. Uh, greed, I'm going to make a lot of money. Fear, I'm going to lose my money. And you've got to try and meet both those aspirations. Okay. What happens normally is a financier will make a provisional decision. Richard, Richard um, Virginman, Richard Branson, Richard Branson, Richard Branson will say yes, but then an army of about fifty advisers go in and tear the whole deal apart. That's how it works. So that the yes, the person making the decision comes to an emotional decision, and then the accountants do the hard work. So if you haven't prepared your sheets of paper and you yeah. haven't put the effort in, I've just been discussing with Shirani in some depth as to how a flash of lightning will make money. Yeah, because I'm convinced on it. Yeah, but I needed to understand the mechanics of how we actually deliver a return to the investor.
2: Yeah.
1: So the 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 message for filmmakers is: you will not raise the money by selling your film. You have to sell the investment. Now, the better way to do it is to do it in parallel, mm. because once having sold the investment, I've then got to put, say, Paul Tucker or Shirani or uh, Suri or whoever. To convince there's going to be a winning film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unless you're relating it to the investment, you won't get money. It. So it is, it is, again, going back to that point, it is about starting a business up. And if
2: you were starting a, a baker's tomorrow, somebody would want to see a budget first, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. And where, yeah. and where profit
1: comes from. And I've, I mean, I was in corporate finance for 15 years. Not one of the budgets I produced was ever accurate. I've never produced a budget that worked. Because it never works that way. Yeah. I had a case. I must tell you this case. I had a case. It's one of the best cases I ever had. Yeah. And it was a Yorkshire business. And mm-hmm. they came down to London to present to the institutions. Mm-hmm. And the the MD and the FD stayed in the hotel and decided they were in love with each other, had an affair, <laughs> broke up their marriages and went back to Yorkshire. We We lost the deal. <laughs> so... You put that in a business plan. <laughs> so, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you don't do the... My own son is a golf professional. Okay. But his eyes aren't so too good. So he's left full-time golf and is now setting up a golf promotions company. He's won his first business yesterday. Right. And I said to him, you know... And, in fact, the PGA exams are quite good. So he, he was used to doing budgets. And I've seen his effort going in. Without that effort, he wouldn't have won the business yesterday. Okay. That's nice. That's... that's, that's so, you know... I mean, obviously, when you meet your filmmakers, your producers, your directors, your the whole panoply, you are looking for that spark. Mm. You're looking for that something special. But you know, four weddings and a funeral—they hadn't got the vaguest idea that was going to be a success.
2: Mm.
1: So, of course, I—we all think every project we do is going to be a success. Without that conviction, you wouldn't be here. Sure. But. Is it so? Try and negate, try and Mm. mitigate the downside, which the tax schemes do, Mm. and don't be greedy. We we always give a big proportion of the profits to the investors. Mm -hmm. No investors, no money, no film. It's the reality of it. Don't be greedy. A bit of a bit of pragmatism, just (laughs) following on from a conversation we had off off microphone. Well, we did, and in corporate finance, you get this uh, phrase, sweat equity. Yeah. And you say to a guy, "How much money have you put in? All oh, half a million, or oh, half a million? Oh no, sweat equity. That's how I valued myself. Oh. It doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know." Okay. Um,
2: so I, I believe one of the one of the ways you like to sort of talk, uh, meet, and talk these ideas with potential investors is the idea of a business breakfast. Is it, is it? Is
1: well, I've been a bit lucky because <clears throat> being city. And well, don't let me exaggerate that. I'm a very small part of a very big place, but I have my own little world, smaller companies. Yeah. And um, I, know the way, I do know the way the city works. So mm-hmm. we do breakfasts. One of the practicalities is people always turn up for a breakfast. If you're doing an evening event, about 40% won't turn up. They've had a rotten day or a better offer. But you always go for breakfast because you know you can leave at 9.30, you know when you're back at your desk. It's a wonderful time to do business. Yeah. When we launched The Flash of Lightning, we had 52 city people at a restaurant in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my own MP, who's a specialist in smaller businesses, gave a brilliant speech. Mm-hmm. And um, people are... Normally, I normally... Hey, you know, hi, Stuart, thanks for asking me. Really enjoyed it. I thank you. I had 33 emails where people had gone to some effort to comment about the event. Yeah. Best we've ever done, and we'll do it again. And, and sort of, in that sense, then, is there, is there a...
2: It's like I'm not supposed to be a magic formula, but I mean obviously you can overkill, can't you, in terms of
1: these kind of events? Or is or is there not? But well, you if, rely on your advisors there. Okay. Because I believe everything I say, I'm capable of overkill, of course. Yeah. So uh, Teresa, who's my publicist, she would always say no. You've done that, you're not doing that again. Okay, okay. That's why you pay your advisors. Got you. Um so having having having
2: written the novel, which obviously you, you explain your process there, how did you find the journey from your novel to a script with the screenwriter, you because know, obviously it's a very uh, as much as your book may have been uh, very visual in its treatment, it's still eighty thousand words, and there's no there's no script that's anywhere near eighty thousand words. So we're already talking about pairing it down. How did how did the story take shape working with the screenwriter? Was that go away and
1: do it and come back, or was it very much a to and fro relationship between you and the screenwriter? With Megan's game, I. I've had a role to play, but not significant. They're a little bit nervous about me Mm -hmm. because I give the rights, but I'm much more closer than they realise. With A Flash of Lightning, and particularly because of Shirani, I've got to know Rob Green very well. Mm -hmm. Now, he wasn't satisfied with my dual-theme approach. Mm -hmm. He was very happy with the terrorist plot, but he wasn't happy with the city plot. We've had to rewrite the whole thing, and he kept saying to me, you are not giving me tension, you're not giving me atmosphere yeah and he he made me rewrite well he rewrote it but i had to give him all the material so i've only had two experience well three with aura although i Mm. don't understand Aura. i mean your luminals and all this is a bit above me but the people who have read it said it's top class yeah so my experience is still very very new okay one discussion we have had and had it at lunchtime today should as a writer i begin to think about film scripts as i'm writing Mm-hmm. And Sharan is dead against it. She said, Absolutely not. He said, You write your book and we'll worry about writing the script. Yeah, yeah. She I... doesn't want me to get nearer to the script writer.
2: Yeah, because you're kind of, you want to be focusing on your story and not the craft of screenwriting. But if you take, is...
1: say, a love affair, yeah. um, in A Flash of night Lightning, I don't get them into bed for about nine chapters. Right. Because mm-hmm. the girl, Esther, is quite complicated. Mm-hmm. So I've, sorry, not um, the lady who turned, the one at the moment. And it took me a lot because the characters write the story for you in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a film, you haven't got nine chapters. No, you haven't. You don't. You uh, don't you know, know any... As Tirani Tr- said at lunch, one look can tell you whether you're going to bed or not. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you're writing your romance, whereas the author has got the luxury of time, mm. on a film set you haven't.
2: Well, you, you can write a chapter which is just the thoughts going through someone's head. which. Well, she, I mean, Esther script. says yes,
1: no, and perhaps in one chapter. <laughs> You know, the poor guy didn't know whether it was yesterday or tomorrow.
2: Yeah,
1: and <clears throat> that's the fun of writing. So, 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 just to recap: at
2: present, you've got there's, there's, there's Megan's game, there's Flash of Lightning, and then there's Aura, yep. which are you're in different stages of development and working. You're working to find, as, like, like the to find the finance to package it to then take that project absolutely into pre-production
1: and onto. Oh, that, that Megan's game's the first one. Okay. And we'll be out there in two weeks' time with the revised financial okay. package, and we'll find out if we're going to be successful. Cool. And well, hopefully,
2: then, if, if uh, from Britflix Britflix podcast, we can maybe revisit where you are Absolutely. in a few months' time. We'll, yeah, because we'll, no, this is this, its it's a great way to, to, to learn on the job, as it were, for the listener to hear how a film project evolves, you know, and, and pick up lessons learned. So, just to just to close on then a bit, okay. something a bit more informal. So, given that you're writing romantic thrillers, as you described describe your project. Can you recommend a British film which is a romantic thriller that you think maybe is a bit underrated?
1: Do with a bit more kudos. Well, we've had long chats about this <laughs> because of the dual theme. Yeah. Rob actually suggests Casablanca is the last one. Okay. Strangely, which is a romantic thriller, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other near ones, Magnolia, okay. Traffic and Crash. Yeah. Those are the three films, but in modern cinema, I've not really come across a, thr- uh, a film. The difference being the two... St- I mean, most films have a theme, yeah. as you know.
2: Yeah.
1: It's unusual to have the dual theme. Rob's had great difficulty writing the script, bringing the, the themes together. Yeah, yeah. That's I can, been the difficulty. I can imagine. So in British cinema at the moment, I'm not saying this because I'm not clever enough to know the answer, yeah. but others who do now are saying it's a little unusual.
0: Okay.
1: So then, taking a step back even further then, if Money Was No object and City
2: Fiction could take a novel from, from the shelf... With the license for it and adapt it to screen. What would be a book you'd relish taking you, you, a book you love that, that's not been done
1: for screen? I suppose it's, all, it's already been done. The Day of the Jackal, I think. It's okay. probably, I mean, there's a big argument is the book better than the film or the film better than the book? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Day of the Jackal is one of those unusual where the book was brilliant and the film was even better. Okay. I don't think there's been ever a better film made than that. Um, you can, I suppose, take almost any book and make a film of it if you want. Yeah. And I notice, um, I was talking to a publisher the other day, and he said he gets people into his offices every day of every week mm-hmm. with people saying, we could make a film of your book. Yeah, I think the creativity is such. But what you've got to do is get down to your, your tick box mentality and say, well, does it meet the five criteria of whether this film could stand any chance of being financed and being successful? Okay. So, yes, I read a book and think, wow, that could be great. Mm. But I then have to put that into reality. If you look at um, with, uh, Philomena, mm. I think, I, I mean, Martin Sixsmith's book is a good book, but it took great vision. Yeah. I mean, you take Philomena, it's phenomenal because there's only one thing in that film, which is script. There's mm. nothing else. Yeah. Uh, one or two quite good secondary actors. Yeah. The, the the one who played the the nun who was against the whole thing. She was mm. brilliant. But you'd got two brilliant actors uh, and a script which was phenomenal.
2: Mm. And you're, and you're dramatising reality well. it's as well. a subject
1: we all have a view on yeah, as well, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, whether any other actor apart from Judy Dench could have played it, I'm not so sure. Mm. It was a phenomenal performance. And Steve Coogan was a big surprise package. Yeah. And, uh, have you any...
2: Um, any future, any, any irons in the fire that you can discuss, Anything, any
1: other projects that are developing that's worth mentioning at this stage? We've got like... enough, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, th- there is a credibility factor. Yeah. The talk is good, and it's genuine. Yeah. And also, I believe the people I'm privileged to be working with are, are of the top class. Yeah. Um, it would be silly to single out people, but because it's pertinent to your questions, mm. uh, Rob Green, the scriptwriter on A Flash of Lightning, is just extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he emails me two or three times a day. Yesterday, I had to find him an offshore company because he wanted to register the terrorist plot offshore, and that took us a long time to sort out. Okay. So, um, yes, I think I think probably at the moment the real challenge for me, there is a view that we're thinking of creative finance, creative in a proper way, I may add, of finding the money. You know, there's awful lot of money in this world. Yeah, it's just you, it won't move. Um, people won't move their money, and my stockbroker Powell has got a client with 3 million on current account he won't spend it okay well that's no good to anything, anybody so we're we're the economic phase is moving into a bull market phase things are better okay we're still a bit nervous but you never come straight out of recession it's all an up and down yeah, process yeah, but yeah. all the signs in the marketplace are that the next possibly 2 to 3 years could be a lot better yeah i never i never felt
2: in 94 95 we were coming out of something but clearly we were
1: 94.95 was post um, the internet crash yeah, yeah, yeah. now the thing about that one was it was very localised, it yeah. only lasted a year and it was much more local
2: yeah.
1: this latest, what I call subprime recession started yeah. by Bill Clinton in America by the way, and mm. whatever Mr Cameron may want to say um, it was all Bill Clinton's fault where he wanted everybody in Southern America to have a mortgage yeah. and it all stemmed from that yeah. but if effectively recession is the devaluation of money okay, so uh, those, as money is devalued you, you then get, you have to rebuild the value of money which we've been doing over the last four to five years the British film industry over the next four to five years could have the most phenomenal time mm. Yeah, we have the, I mean there's so much creativity in the British film industry mm. as we've just seen at BAFTA mm. and I think if we can crack the holy grail of financing the trick Stuart will be keep out the charlatans, there's far too many all with their tax schemes and all that nonsense, forget Mm. it. Go for a straightforward financing package where the decision to invest the money is based on the quality of the film. I mean, when you look at these schemes that are being undone with the revenue, Mm. half those people had no idea what the film was. It was just a vehicle to save tax. And that is immoral, apart from anything else. It's completely wrong. It's abusing the British film industry. Yeah. The key criteria is the quality of the people and the film. Even then, it's a chancy business. I was gonna say, so that did, what, what's, what's been the conversations
2: then about things like distribution? Because that's, you know, we you could project what happens with the film if it gets bums on seats, so sells DVDs, goes online. But that seems to be the never-ending test for which well, film, because obviously our <sighs> cinemas are owned by
1: American companies and, and, and conglomerates that... Obviously, have are making their own products. So, well, we've got an, on Megan's game. We've got in tandem films as our sales agent. Okay, um, their job will be to go out and sell the film. But of course, each distributor is faced with such an array of films. Their mm. skill then comes into play. How do they sell the film? Okay. then you're at the mercy of American cinema. Yeah. So it's a pretty chance. and this is as as somebody who's trying to sell the investment. Yeah, this is one of my problems. It is well, it's not a problem; it's a fact.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And we would only ever sell a film as a high risk.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, look, Tony, I think uh, we've covered a lot of bases there, and I hope that we can maybe pick this story up later. Down Whenever the line.
1: Uh, you know, I'm very grateful for your interest. It's no, no, flattering. no. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you very much, Stuart. Nice one. It's the Britflix.com podcast.
2: Links.com podcast.